We don't mind midgets getting baptized, you know, uh, that we can't see on the camera, but uh, yeah, it's there. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Edward. Uh, one, one of the cool things about that is Edward Livesey is a lay pastor, and especially for those of you who grew up in certain denominational settings where, I mean, the priest deal was a big deal, it's a very difficult transition to make that the New Testament actually teaches the priesthood of all believers, that all of us are called to ministry. First Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood, a holy people, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it's a huge transition. One of, the, one of my mentors in ministry, Bob Russell, used to say, he said, I've learned that Baptists and Catholics are really different. Baptists are terrible followers and great tithers. They just want to fight about everything, but they understood the concept of, of tithing. Catholics are great followers and terrible tithers. They're, just, they're, just, they're terrible, but they understand the concept of following. They understand that, 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 uh, that respect for the, the position of priests, and, but that makes it challenging to transition to, I mean, it, it, right there, there's an example of someone who's, who's a who's a lay pastor. He, he's pastoring people in a community group. And the kingdom of God is only limited by the amount of Edward Livesey's that you, that you raise up. It's, it's the truth. And we are raising up a bunch of lay pastors in this movement called City Lights. The future of the American church will be how effective every church's City Lights movement, whatever they choose to call that is. We are not going to be determined in our relevance by what happens in here. It's going to be determined by what happens once we leave this campus. And as you know, that, that uh, the church has left the building being led by so many lay pastors all over the place. And today we're going to focus our prayer time on the West region, which is west of this building right here, this, this campus in Miamisburg, West Carrollton, uh, Germantown, Franklin, Westchester, etc., and uh, two people I have the deepest respect for. I want to bring Todd Porter and Greg Wacker up here. Todd and Greg, would you come up and Southbrook? Let's give them our encouragement. Just um, these are two uh, very, very experienced people in pastoring other people. You know, all a pastor is is someone who leads a group of people. Hey, you're, you're next in the baptistry, big guy, okay? <laughs> He's not totally redeemed yet. We use imperfect people around here to serve God. I better stop there. I, I, I keep going. I delve into sin territory once you get me going. But um, what Todd and Greg embody is this idea that it, you know, a pastor is just someone who leads a group of people in growth and guidance from A to B. That's all it is. It's just if you're willing to take four people or 40 people from point A to point B and being guided and growing in Jesus, then that's a pastor. You, you, some people are really gifted in this, and these two people are gifted in it. And the challenge they know is for them to duplicate themselves. To, to me, not just heroes, but hero makers. So we so much want that to happen. You know, City Lights is if Martians said, we're going to stop Southbrook, we'll steal their building. City Lights would ensure that, okay, go ahead, steal our building. The stuff that's really changing people's lives is, is this is where we get trained. That's where we go do it. 
And so would you join me, Southbrook? I know these two men would just love to have you praying on their behalf right now, that they would be used. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, for Greg and Samantha and for Todd and Kim and the, their families, we, we surround them in prayer that, that you would uh, bless them in physical, emotional, spiritual strength and health and vitality because they love people. They love you and they love people. And I pray you magnify their efforts that as they baptize and pray over and raise up people that, that will say you were in that. And our family of, of believers here and our friends who are with us today, we just bow our heads to say, may only heaven know the effect that's going to happen as a result in the West region of their pastoring and their loving people. And, you know, those songs we sang today, so many people need help in fighting their battles. And they don't know how to do it on a spiritual level. They don't know how to integrate Christ into their everyday life and, and anoint them in that way for their efforts. And the whole West team, we lift them up today and uh, that uh, you, you, would, you would just go to work because this prayer unleashed heaven through them. In the name of Christ, we prayed and everyone said, amen. Man, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we should have known that Todd was going to pull something like that. And uh, you, we, one, one of the things that's important about doing that is, is they'll be out at the West Kiosk. So one of the reasons we do this is you're not just going to a kiosk. You say, you know, I, I live in West Carrollton. I think I'm going to start trying to get connected through that. You go out to the West Kiosk. You'll see the big W. And you'll meet them. And one of the reasons we do this, so you meet people. You're not just at a at a at a information counter center, but you're meeting people, and we want you to do that. Now, another way that you can begin to get your story into the narrative of God's story here is we just finished the One Light Journal, the One Light Journal, and the One Light Journal is based on a series that we did last summer called One Light, and all the one another's of the New Testament, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another. And so we've developed a 40-week, three times a week journal, and you go onto the Southbrook City Lights app, you'll see that, and there are prompts there that will unify you around your group, around your community, around your region, around the church. And you can go and download that right now. There are prompts every Monday. And one of the cool things we've seen from just that series last summer that prompted us to say, hey, let's create a journal that'll, that'll solidify and centralize all of us around today is be kind one to another is because the stories that will emerge from that. So we've seen this when years pass and we've said, hey, Christmas this year, we're giving away this so that when you go to get your gas at Speedway tonight, do this to that girl working behind the counter. And then we hear a story that happens as a result of that. It's really cool. And this one light journal, you get your own journal. You figure out what you want to write on and you keep your own journal. In Player's Box, we tell the kids, they can repeat this back to you, your journey is worthy of a journal. And three times a week, you're doing the same thing that a lot of other people are doing. You can go to the City Lights app and you can download that. We would love, love, love for you to do just that. Um, one of the things about this subject matter today, today we're going to talk about contradictions. Which faith system is more consistent? And one of the things you know about parenting 
is it's hard to be consistent, isn't it? Have you ever told your kids to do something that you're really not willing to do yourself? It happens all the time. And those little sinners can see right through your duplicity. They see right through it. Well, here's just, you know, the creative team every once in a while just likes to have some fun with this kind of thing. And this is just silliness right here. But take a look at uh, some contradictions. Welcome to No News is Good News. I'm your host, Todd Moss. These are your headlines. Studies are showing kids are brushing their teeth more to avoid dreaded mask mouth. We celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago. I woke up to find a huge Easter basket full of candy. At this point, everything is gone but the peeps. We still have some of those from three years ago. Even the dogs won't eat them. When we were out to eat this week, Dad said no to dessert after dinner because we have dessert at home. But he didn't say no to another beer. This just in. Studies show the letter R is still the hardest letter to pronounce. Here's John's spots. John. Hi, Todd. Today on the playground, I wanted to play with Tyler, but Tyler was waiting to play with Billy. So I paid Katie a penny to try to kick a dodgeball into my head. We tried the whole time and it never happened. Then Katie ate a dandelion. She spent math class in the nurse's office. Back to you, Todd. Party talk is back in the news. Here to report on that as well. Hi, everyone. Yesterday, I got in trouble for calling my sister a poo-poo head. But my mommy said to my daddy, and they both laughed. So there's that. Speaking of potty talk, which I'm not really supposed to, my dad said his legs fell asleep because he was in the bathroom too long looking at his phone. And they say, I have too much screen time. Back to you, Todd. In fashion news, my clothes are too small because my growth spot. Crocs still make my feet small. Horrible. And mom said she's only eating salad so she can fit back into a bathing suit. That's all the time we have today on No News is Good News. See you next week. My hands are sweaty. My hands are so sweaty. <laughs>
Hey, that's pretty good lip syncing, wasn't it? That was, that was major league lip syncing. One of the interesting things, uh, you know, I want to say this about this series we're in, Christism and Atheism. My intent with this series is not to convert an atheist. So if you're here and, and you really lean into atheism, that is not my intent. My intent is to equip those of you who already believe in God to have a, a point of dialogue. And that's what Weekend Hangover is about. You can do that on demand or you can join us live on Mondays. The reason that we do that is to increase dialogue. And so as we get to the end of this today, and, and, the, and the point that I want to make about how we relate to other people with this, um, it's not so we can argue. And I don't know about you, but I've never converted someone from atheism to Christ because my arguments were so brilliant and compelling. I've been a part of a community that people who were atheists were loved so much that they couldn't deny the love of God. And that's the change that happened. But one of the aspects for you to talk about, especially those of you who are high school students, and you'll be entering a college setting where there are many, 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 many people who, will, uh, who are professors who will undermine your faith, is, is today's subject matter is about the concept, really, of coherence. The importance of an, of an argument, a position being coherent. And one of the philosophers of the 20th century who wrote a lot on this was Dr. Francis Schaeffer. And he actually was very successful in in getting young atheists to consider Christ, particularly, but the concept of a God who created this universe. And he, he would have said, he's passed now, he would have said it was because he simply stayed in the area of coherent argument logical argument. And one time in a class, a student asked him, Dr. Schaefer, why do you always, always insist on an answer being coherent? Why does it have to be logical? And Dr. Schaefer answered that by, by asking the question, do you want my answer to be coherent or incoherent? And so that's where we get to today with the issue of God. Is theism or atheism more coherent? G.K. Chesterton said, a belief in atheism presents an insurmountable contradiction. Atheism tells me God is dead, and therefore love is dead, morality is dead, human life has no value, but the contradiction is revealed when the atheist is not able to live a life consistent with the world he professes to believe in. A modern atheistic biology professor may complain that blacks in South Africa are treated as beasts, but later in biology class, he presents the belief that men are highly sophisticated beasts, the product of an irrefutable evolutionary process. An atheistic political scientist attacks an oppressive government for trampling on the inalienable rights for humanity, while in the same breath denies that there is a moral imperative dictated by a transcendent reality. Now, he wrote that in, the, in, in like over 50 years ago, but amazing how relevant that is today. How many people who are rightfully crying out for justice in America in their everyday lives are evolutionary in their thinking? When I say evolutionary, I mean macro, Darwinian, godless. We are just products of chance. There is no absolute right and wrong. And yet, what we say is injustice 
is a statement that there is an objective point of justice in this world. And when you start talking about that, you're getting very close to a definition of God. Norman Geisler is a, was a, is a very powerful apologist for the faith, and he talks about a professor who was uh, leading a, a high literature class, uh, a philosophy class, and there was a literature assignment in which the students had to defend their position in regard to life. And one student wrote a near flawless paper on why he believed that life was mere chance. There is no moral right and wrong. There is no objective truth. That life is about what you feel and what you perceive to be right and wrong. That life boils down to not absolutes, but mere taste. It was so well written. But the professor wrote on top of the paper, F, I don't like this blue folder. And the student got that grade and he came rushing back in and just vehemence and anger. This isn't fair. This is unjust. I worked so hard on this paper. I created a compelling argument for a godless, morally relative universe. And you say you don't like it because you don't like blue folders? And the professor said, again, you're saying that this is the paper that was making the statement that life is not absolute in any way, shape, or form, that we are merely the results of products of chance, and that really what you consider right and wrong is just a matter of your personal perspective and tastes and biases. I don't like blue folders. That's my personal bias. And he said, all of a sudden, the student's face dropped and he realized, I do believe in absolute justice. I do believe in moral rights and wrongs. And the paper, the professor took the paper, put an A on it and gave it back to him. You see, we have a country right now that's crying out for justice and rightly so. But that same country, how many people on the streets crying out for justice in their everyday life are moral relativists? without a consistent understanding of how moral relativism, that there is no objective point of truth upon which our laws and morality are based in their everyday lives. This past Tuesday was a sobering day. Does anybody know what this past Tuesday was the anniversary of? 22 years ago on April 20th, 1999, what happened? Two boys walked into Columbine High School And it was a watershed issue in our country, wasn't it? It was a watershed event. It created such a maelstrom of why, why, why? And what our country refuses to wrestle with is the reality that of all the things that we could say is the reason for Columbines to happen, this reality we refuse to wrestle with Columbines are what happened in the absence of absolute truth rooted in God. Dylan Klebold, one of the shooters, was wearing a shirt, Naturalism Rules. Uh, and you say, well, wait a minute. This, what's the, you're, you know, you're trying to skirt the real issues of gun control and kids playing too many video games and violence. I'm saying that there is an underlying issue beneath those. And that is this. 
if all we are sophisticated apes, if that's all we are, we're the latest model of the ape, lions eat gazelles, bats eat bugs, and kids shoot kids, what's the big deal? Do you see the inevitable result? And if you're saying this series is way too pedantic, too philosophical for me, I'm telling you, friends, the results of this series are very personal to your life because they affect how our colleges are taught, they affect what's in our pop music, and on and on and on. And the Columbines are what happen when there is not a dignity given to every human being because every human being at, at, at their core is a divine image bearer, the most high God. We need justice in this world, not because of some relativistic, moral, 51% morality. Well, the majority in America believe that injustice is wrong. No, it's because we have a transcendent God who says, this is wrong to treat anyone who's a vulnerable class because you can treat them with contempt or prejudice is wrong. That's why it's wrong. And columbines happen. The soil for those things to happen in, in, in that condition. There's a verse in Judges chapter 21 that speaks of in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And that would seem to be freeing, wouldn't it? Don't we want to live in a country, in America, we worship autonomy. And it has been our downfall in so many ways. And this seems to be, that's the formula for freedom is nobody telling you what to do. And if you read that history in reality, they were in absolute chaos and immorality and the breakdown of, of social structure. Why? It's because when there are no rules on the freeway, it's no longer a freeway, is it? And I'm very aware that this is a complicated issue. But when you're in philosophy class next year, student, and your professor mocks your faith, you ask her, do you believe in justice? Do you believe that there is a moral imperative that is transcendent justice in the world? Because when you do, you're getting awfully close to a definition of God. We uh, looked at this last week, Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. That when we lose an objective north, we lose our GPS system, we lose our compass, we begin to make things up on the way and that's how we get lost. Those of you who are pilots know that a pilot will get to her point in training when they have to learn to fly IFR by instrument only and the trainer will take the pilot and put a blinder on the pilot's eyes so that she cannot see the horizon. And then the, and then the, the teacher of the flight teacher will take the plane and jostle it so that the fluid in her inner ear is, is all up and down and she can't tell right from wrong, so to speak. She may feel like she's banking 20 degrees, but when she's actually banking 10 degrees left and she has to learn how to fly by instrument only. She has to learn to trust that objective point of reference in front of her. She can't see the horizon, but she can see her instrument panel. And when you get asked about your belief that there is a transcendent lawgiver upon whom our laws are based, you can point to that illustration and say, listen, 
this, this question right here. Is it possible that when we have told this generation that naturalism is true, we have evolved from nothing more than some primordial slime. When we have told them objective moral values did not exist, you decide what is right and wrong for you. When we have told our young people that there is no ultimate designer, when we have told our young people that there is no ultimate destiny, when we have told them that man is the measure of things, when we have told them that there is no transcendent basis upon which to find out what life is about and what life's goal is, why are we then surprised when we see the hell that is unleashed by that kind of philosophy? Those are the words of Norman Geisler. It's true. It's true. And I, 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 I think that we really have to assess as followers of this God the reality of Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? When we just try to navigate life without any objective point of reference. We are that pilot being trained and our fluid is all up and down and we don't know right from wrong. We, we begin to get a moral inversion of what is valuable. You see, Southbrook, the question with belief in God is not why are the tragedies at Columbine, Sandy Hook, West Nickel Mines School, Las Vegas, etc., happening the question is, why shouldn't they happen? That's the question. I know many of us now, we realize we're living in a society where mass shootings don't even get headlines. Buckle your seatbelt. Because while this series may be way too philosophical for you, I will tell you again, the results of that thinking are very personal to your life. They affect Everything you read, see, hear, and are able to do. So then how shall we live? Like how, what's, what, you know, right, we're, we're re- literally right in the middle of this series on saying there is a logical, coherent, rational reason to believe in Christ. How then shall we live? Well, I want to leave you today with these two lessons. One is, and I want to speak specifically to you high school and college students here, carefully think through what you believe. Most of us don't think this stuff through, and that's the value of our church, is centers where our thinking gets renewed, and some of our contradictory processes of thinking in our country get exposed. Again, people who are vehement about justice also being godless evolutionary thinkers. It's inconsistent. It's not coherent. Both cannot be at the same time true. So look at some of, these are some of the things that you'll hear in culture, right? You'll hear this in culture. There are no absolutes. Do you know that that's a statement of absolute? It's wrong to impose your morals on others. Do you understand by saying that you're imposing a moral perspective on me? And I, I say again, I'm not saying get snarky with this and cocky. I'm just saying you ask the question. When you hear the professor say, no one's moral opinion is valid because we all speak from how we've been indoctrinated. So that means your opinion's not valid because you're speaking from how you've been indoctrinated. You can't know anything for sure. Do you know that for sure? <laughs> Students, no view of reality is superior to any other. 
Well, I don't, you, just gotta, you just gotta look for the opportunity when your professor says that. Because that's when you raise your hand and you go, does that mean yours isn't as valid either? That your opinion's not valid or superior? There is no right and wrong. Is that statement right or is it wrong? Oh, here we go again. Another moralist making bold assertions of fact. Are you not making a bold assertion of fact by making that statement? You see, people often talk about the unbelievability of faith in God. But in reality, we realize, as I said last week, that Richard Dawkins realized, you can be a Darwinian evolutionist, but you can't base your social system on it. You have to become a moralist where you have an objective point of reference. Why? Because Darwinian evolution doesn't work in society. The survival of the fittest is what led to Germany in the 1930s. It's what nearly annihilated Poland and Hungary and on and on and on. Why? It's because when there is no objective point of value for humanity, all hell breaks loose. And so think, think through. Don't just accept what's on social media. Don't just accept 51% morality. And if this does seem like it's way too deep for you, you better just get through that excuse and deal with this, students, because it's going to confront you and your faith, and it's going to affect your lifestyle. In a few weeks, we'll be doing one on sex. Do you think this affects sex? Because if all we are is the latest model, you know, it's just goo to you by way of the zoo, we're the latest model of the ape, then it's just fluid exchange. It doesn't matter how many people you sleep with, but if we're a divine image bearer of God, ooh, sex is soulish. It's not just physical. There's more to it. This affects every, every, every single area of your life. And if, if, if there is no God, there is no strength behind, there is no accountability behind what we say is right and wrong anyway. I love the, the, the story of a, a, a principal who had a, who had a teacher in his school that was a strict disciplinarian, and her name, I kid you not, was Miss Bloodworth. And she was known as this authority, this very strict authoritarian, and the, the word around the high school was, don't, don't, miss, don't be late for Miss Bloodworth's class. Well, what happens? Nobody knows. Nobody's ever tried it. And one day he said, some kid was just running down the hall and the principal said, I stopped a kid and I said, hey, you know there's rule, no running in, in the hallways. And he goes, but sir, I'm late, I'm late for Miss Bloodworth's class. And the principal said, run, son, run. <laughs> now, the reason that, that you know, that's a relevant issue is because if you can have all the rules you want, but if there's no authority present, that stands behind those rules and how this school works, then they're, they're arbitrary and they're, they have no power. So let, let's just say that there is a playground at the school and uh, elementary level and there's a set of rules. No one over 12 on the play tower. No one under 12 on the basketball courts during recess. The tetherball has a 10-minute limit. And just, you know, rules, what are those rules there for? They're there for the safety of the children, aren't they? So that the big kids don't run roughshod over the little kids and the little kids get the, they get the opportunities that they want to have on the tetherball court. 
And the playground works well because Miss Bloodworth is standing out there every recess, right? And there's just an authority that comes with her. Let's take Miss Bloodworth off the playground. She's, anybody ever read The Lord of the Flies? Let's take Miss Bloodworth out of the picture. No authority on the playground. And before long, what you have is you have the older kids dominating the younger kids. Why? Because in the absence of a moral authority, Darwinian power wins out. The strong rule over the weak. And we can say that I don't want people telling me what to do. Yes, at some level, you do. At some point you do because every single one of us needs to know there's an objective accountability behind my life that gives life meaning because someday I'm gonna be accountable. I remember when I was sitting in Old Testament survey class as a college freshman and I still remember Dr. Hook saying, friends, trust me, what you'll see in America in the next 20, 30, 40 years is a country that no longer believes it's accountable to God. It's not accountable. And boy, was he right. Now that leads to the strongest apologetic for your faith for this era. And this may seem like it's disconnected, but it's, it's really not. It's not disconnected. And that is, if you believe in God, compassionately, defend those who are vulnerable. And I want you to take a picture of this and write this down because many of us go through life blindly and we don't realize how critical this is to fleshing out our creator in this world. That those of us who say, I belong to this God, I am following this God, I have his promises in my life, that the strongest apologetic for that is out of that we leverage our strength, the gifts of grace to us, to defend the vulnerable. You say, well, how's this a connection? This is where people see there's something operating in them when they could power up and they don't. They don't, they don't power up. They power down to help those who in the office, in the school, in the neighborhood are the marginalized, the vulnerable. Remember when Bill Gates famously said, be kind to nerds, you may work for one someday. Remember when he said that? Well, I would say there's a, there is a much bigger transcendent value ahead of that and that is be nice to nerds because what happens in this culture is if you crush the spirits of nerds long enough, they get guns and they bring them to school. Have, have we not seen that? And look at, the, look at this. How many of you could say, I know people like this, and I know one of them's me. He has shown you, immortal, what is good, and what does law require you to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Act justly. You know, that there's this longing the word righteousness is really the same word used for justice. There's this longing in the human soul to set things right. We want things, that's what justice cries out. 
to, for life to be set right. And when righteousness comes, dikaiousene is the word Jesus used, when it comes into people, they become agents of setting things right and they love to be merciful and they love to walk humbly with God. And then they love to be agents of that redemptive power. What I'm saying with this is, is this principle right here is the quarterback in the high school caring for that kid who gets marginalized in the hallways. That'll change your high school. The homecoming queen, not being the mean girl, but the homecoming queen being the one who protects the vulnerable in her school hallways and her classrooms and defends those who are typically picked on. When you get that, you're changing a culture. And I'm saying for those of you who have any indigenous intrinsic power, it is so critical that you utilize that like Jesus did for the marginalized. There's this, this word that, that is written about him in Matthew 12, a bruised reed he will not break. And I think about uh, a kid that walks into his high school and shoots it up. He's a bruised reed that's broken. I mean, there's evil there and all that. But, but we know now there's a crushed spirit, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through the victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Is this you? Is this you? Do, whatever physical, professional, spiritual, relational power you have, do you defer to using it like Jesus did, to caring for the vulnerable? touching the leper, speaking to the woman at the well. This is our call in this era, not to live blindly, waiting for some in, you know, unknown, faceless people out there to change America, but that we are the agents of saying, there is a God and he lives in me and I will care for you and I will defend you. Now, here's what I think is funny about this. Have any of you ever done the social test of how the more expensive and bigger a car is, the more they look like they're used to getting their way and they just, they just skate through red lights. And they, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever, any of you ever done a social experiment on the, the more expensive the car, the more you can just tell they're impatient in traffic. And they, so when, when, what you can do is immediately follow, and I'm gonna close in prayer in a minute, and you can watch this flesh out in our parking lot. Okay, watch this social experience of those who are used to having power. I'm speaking to all you Escalade owners out there, okay? But it's interesting. Like, you know, a little beaten up neon they don't try to, they're not used to get it. You know, you just see that. You, just, uh, you can watch this happen. Everything you ever need to learn spiritually, you can learn driving and, and just watching how people drive. So what I'm saying is, is when you think is if in life in any way you drive an Escalade, right, so you have any kind of power that also reflects, I'm used to getting what I want. When I want it, you are the one who has the power to change this culture. You are the one it starts with. You are the one who can say, I'm going to leverage my power to protect the vulnerable and raise up the weak. I will be the one, the bruised reed I will not break. And even though 
I own an Escalade. I'm coming back next week to hear the sermon. Because <laughs> I also have a thick skin. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, deep water, philosophical stuff. But if we don't deal with it, we will drift into 51% morality. And history has shown that we will lose our moorings and we will wrestle with school shootings all the while, denying moral absolute, a human divinity that says we are all image bearers of the most high God. Now I think about how Proverbs 18 says, a crushed spirit who can bear. In this era, there are tons of people we'll work with this week and be in, alongside in our classrooms and our neighborhoods and they have crushed spirits. You have gifted us with your grace. Many in this room have been positioned in life with professional strength and power, with financial assets. And may we continually know this call is to be like Jesus to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. And while this is challenging to us, this is at the core of regenerating this country we love and building a faith that sustains us to where this is how we fight our battles. We surrender to the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and we allow that to live through us even down to how we drive. <laughs> and Lord, I pray that that's who we are this week. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. May we be city lights this week. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said Amen. See you next week.